Thank you, Mr. League, and uh, warm greetings to all our brethren around the world, and welcome to all our guests that are here today. It doesn't seem possible that this is the last Sabbath of the calendar year 2013, and it doesn't seem possible that uh, we have such a wonderful challenge ahead of us. We know that we can do all things through Christ. We have a big year to do God's work in 2014. I'll comment a little more on that later. We had a wonderful Charlotte family weekend and uh, at the Renaissance Hotel. We had uh, 293 for the Bible study Friday night and 566 for Sabbath services. And we thank uh, God for inspiring the, all of the activities and Dr. Meredith's sermon, which was titled, Make Your Life Count. So we all appreciated that and uh, everyone was excited to be here from all over the United States and we had uh, more than a dozen from Canada that came down for the weekend as well. Just 72 hours from tonight, we will enter the year 2014 on the Roman calendar. And we're all looking forward to encouraging developments in God's work. We plan to begin broadcasting in India on January 1st. So that's an exciting development. It will be out of Goa. It will be a regional Broadcast. We want to start small before it gets to the huge uh, nation of 1.2 billion people. But please pray for the success of that introductory program on January 1st in Goa, in India. And then we also plan to start broadcasting January 22nd on Faith TV, which covers most of Europe. So that will be by satellite. And in 2014, we're also planning 83 Actually, more than 160 tomorrow's world presentations over 80 days. What we have done in the past is have them on separate days, but we found that it's much more effective to have the two programs, one on prophecy, one basically on the church, not on separate weekends, but on the same day. We've done that uh, this past year, and it's been very effective a very economical, so we'll have about 160 of those on about 80 days or more. So we thank you all for your service and your prayers for your help and support in 2013. The income was flat for much of the year, but thankfully we ended up with a projected income of 9.6% for the year 2013. We're very, very thankful for that. Remember that you still have until midnight, December 31st, for tax-deductible donations to the church and also to Living University. So each year draws us closer to the kingdom and the return of the Messiah. If you'll turn to Revelation, the third chapter, Revelation, the third chapter, we look forward to Jesus Christ coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God's church has a mission. Here in Revelation, the third chapter, in one of the King James versions, it has under the Philadelphia church, the faithful church. And it tells us here, these things write, says he who is holy, Revelation 3, verse 7, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have denied my name. 
We have a mission. A few weeks ago, I gave a sermon titled, Are You a Philadelphian? Today's sermon is the second part of that two-part series, but I'm titling the sermon today, The Philadelphian Mission. We realize that we are in the end time. We also realize we're living in the church age called Laodicea. And in the past 20 years, the churches of God have splintered. They have, uh, some of them have apostatized, and many of these hundred splinter groups have become lukewarm or Laodicean. In the last sermon, I quoted from the Scottish archaeologist William Ramsdy. He had a, written a comprehensive book on the seven churches in Asia Minor or in modern-day Turkey. The book is called The Letters to the Seven Churches by William Ramsey. And chapter 29 is titled Laodicea, City of Compromise. That's pages 422 and 423. He writes, quote, There is no city whose spirit and nature are more different to describe than Laodicea. There are no extremes and hardly any very strongly marked features. But in this even balance lies its peculiar character. Those were the qualities that contributed to make it essentially the successful trading city, the city of bankers and finance, which could adapt itself to the needs and wishes of others, ever pliable and accommodating, full of the spirit of compromise, end of quote. And we all know that in human relations that there is a proper kind of godly compromise, but God expects us never to compromise with the truth. As I mentioned in that sermon five weeks ago, some churches of God are compromising. They are tolerating practicing sinners within their congregation, bragging or maybe boasting about enlightened tolerance similar to that of the church of Corinth, which the Apostle Paul strongly corrected. We want to help practicing sinners, and so did the Apostle Paul. And when he put that practicing sinner out of the church, that sinner repented and was brought back into the church. So there was a dramatic change by that kind of church discipline. The Apostle Paul did what was right. The Corinthian church repented and accepted back that repentant sinner as well. But we must not never compromise with the church. So what are the characteristics of Philadelphia? Are you a Philadelphian? Last time I gave uh, four characteristics, and today I am going to attempt to complete that with six more characteristics. So we'll begin with a review of those first four characteristics. In the last sermon, it started off with, number one, Philadelphians love one another. Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. They had brotherly love. John 15:13 tells us, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. I believe the Charlotte congregation has demonstrated that agape love, that brotherly love. And we have people serving here every week and ushering and the parking and the food service and the PA system and many other ways. So we do really appreciate that service and that brotherly love. If you turn to First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, the Apostle Paul 
observed that the Thessalonians had demonstrated brotherly love. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting with verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So they were practicing brotherly love. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So while we can observe here in the Charlotte congregation that we have brotherly love, God tells us yet we still need to increase more and more. So number one characteristic, Philadelphian Christians love one another. They have brotherly love, but we also must make sure that we have unconditional love for genuine Christians in other Church of God fellowships as well. Characteristic number two is Philadelphians produce good works. We just read back in Revelation 3 and verse 8, Jesus said, I know your works. So we have a mission. And What must our attitude be? Well, we are the light of the world, he tells us in Revelation, Matthew 5, 14. We're the salt of the earth. But we need to, again, bear those works in faith. Um, you might turn to James, the second chapter, <clears throat> James 2 and verse 18. We have both faith and works. James was dealing with uh, individuals who claimed to have works but not faith and others who apparently claimed to have faith but not works. But James is saying you need both those faith and works. Dr. Meredith's sermon, Build Faith, he quoted Romans 10:17. So then with faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. James 2 and verse 14. Well, let's start with verse 18 <clears throat> for sake of time. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And then James says, all right, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So we expect to have works. Galatians, the sixth chapter, Galatians 6, which is one of our mission statements in our local congregation. Therefore, as we have opportunity, Galatians 6.10, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so we have started the outreach programs with the Carrington Place Care Center, and uh, several of you, I think we have eight or ten uh, volunteers, who've already volunteered for the January 10th uh, Habitat for Humanity project. It's working on a house for a poor family, and uh, we appreciate those of you who are volunteering to help. Many of you have also contributed to the Disaster Relief Fund, which has helped our brethren and others in the Philippines and, of course, previously in Haiti. So number two, Philadelphians produce good works by faith. Are you living a life of faith and good works? Number three, Philadelphians go through open doors. Jesus tells us in Revelation 3.8, 
See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. There are several examples of preaching the gospel through the open doors, but let's just take a look at one of them. And uh, 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 12. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 12. We covered this before, but I'm just giving a more brief review here. Uh, number 3, Philadelphians go through open doors by faith. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel... And a door was opened to me by the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother. By taking my leave of him, I departed for Macedonia. So a door was opened for the preaching of Christ's gospel. In his editorial, Dr. Meredith wrote in the January-February 2013 Living Church News, an article titled, Don't Be a Laodicean. He refers to this scripture, 2 Corinthians 2.12 and Colossians 4.3 and states, The term door clearly indicates an opening or opportunity to preach the true gospel. The Philadelphians zealously desire to have a very active part in proclaiming Christ's message. Let me repeat that. The Philadelphians zealously desire to have a very active part in preaching Christ's message. They personally work, pray, and sacrifice so the magnificent message of Christ's soon coming kingdom may be powerfully proclaimed to all the nations. End of quote. And that's from the January, February Living Church News, uh, 2013, the editorial, Don't Be a Laodicean. As I mentioned, we're excited about the open doors of preaching the gospel in India. We already, of course, have gone on television and networks in Russia and in South Africa, in Latin America, and also in Hong Kong. I was just looking at our home page, tomorrowsworld.org, and even on the home page we have Mr. Gerald Weston uh, in English with the unknown God. But you can go on to the Hong Kong website, which is tomorrowsworldhk.com, not .org, and you can see the telecast, and you click on, I believe it's Mandarin English, or then, or Mandarin English, Mandarin Chinese, or Simplified Chinese, and you'll see all kind of Chinese. I don't uh, understand it all, but uh, if you, how many of you have actually looked at our Tomorrow's World HK com website. Let me see your hands. Okay, good. That's about 23.4% of you have done that, but I hope the rest of you will as well. I mentioned last time also about the uh, other websites we have. I wish they would were a little more prominently displayed uh, on the bottom of our web page, but there is the Le Monde des Mons. Uh, that I clicked on that last night and found Mr. Mario Hernandez speaking in French, uh, giving a telecast on the French website, Do You Recognize the True Jesus, Part 5. And then I also clicked on the Spanish website, El Mundo de Mañana, and I found myself speaking in Spanish. 
seven keys to answered prayer. So I hope, brethren, that you are checking these out, those of you who have access to the website, that Christ is opening these doors and we are enthusiastic about going through those doors. Characteristic number three, Philadelphians go through the open doors by faith. Be sure you're praying for the new broadcast in India starting January 1st, 2014. Number four, Philadelphians have little strength, but they rely on Christ's strength. Remember what he said in Revelation 3.8, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. Of course, the Laodiceans, on the other hand, say they are rich. Revelation 3.16, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And, and Jesus said, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. But well, we recognize that we are weak. We have a little strength, and we have to remain humble. We have to rely on God's strength. Let's turn back to Isaiah 40, verse 28. Uh, was one of Mr. Armstrong's favorite uh, scriptures. It's the uh, etching that we gave on a a glass to Dr. Meredith uh, for his 60th anniversary on December 20th, 2012. But it's uh, one that we can all rely on as far as God's promise is concerned. Isaiah 40 and verse 31 But to those who wait on the Lord, the Eternal, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And when I feel weak, I claim that promise and ask God to strengthen me. Verse 29, He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the eternal shall renew their strength. So number three, Philadelphians go through open doors by faith. Number four, Philadelphians have a little strength, but they rely on Christ's strength. We all know Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Zechariah 4.6. Not by might, nor by power, meaning physical power, but by my spirit says the eternal of hosts, Zechariah 4.6. I might just quote to you uh, 2 Corinthians 12.10, after the Apostle Paul's talking about all his trials and all his tribulations. He said, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong because he talked about uh, that the power of Christ may rest upon me in verse 9. That's 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. The fourth characteristic of Philadelphians is that Philadelphians have a little strength, but they rely on Christ's strength. I covered those four last time. Now we'll attempt to go through the next six. Philadelphians, number five, keep God's word. Revelation 3.8, For you have a little strength and have kept my word. And Jesus says to the Philadelphians, How do you keep God's word? You live by it. You obey it. You study it. You remain faithful to it. 
Because you know, as when people asked me years ago, you know, well, what does your church believe? Matthew 4.4, Luke 4.4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. That's what we believe. We read the Bible every day because we know it's spiritual food. Dr. Meredith's sermon, as I mentioned before, Romans 10.17 mentioned that. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So how do we keep God's word? We practice and keep the commandments of God. We don't practice sin. We ask God to write on our minds and hearts His laws and His commandments. That's the new covenant, Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10. That He will write on our hearts and minds His commandments. You know, I think I mentioned to this last time that from the Wall Street Journal, which was uh, November 14th, 2013 about uh, the dangers of owning a Bible in North Korea. I'll just mention uh, from the Wall Street Journal, the Bible in the bird's nest. The Christians were among a group of 80 North Koreans who were executed by firing squad on Sunday, November 3rd, according to a report in the South Korean Daily. So these were executed for having a Bible. And the reporter gives an example of one family that had hidden a Bible in a bird's nest. And one of the neighbors came down and cut down the the tree limb, found the Bible, and the whole family, three generations, disappeared because they had a Bible. We need to be very, very thankful that we do have the Bible and we do have the Bible study course. I hope that many of you have studied the Bible study course. This is uh, Lesson 1 through 4, The Bible, a book for today. Uh, Lesson 5, 5 through 8, What is God Like? Lesson 9 through 12, Lesson 9 is What is the True Gospel? Lesson 13, uh, Remember the Sabbath Day. And Lesson 17 through 20, uh, Tithing, God's Financial Plan for You. And then Lesson 21 through 24, Understanding the Original Christianity. I've asked you this before, but I do like to take uh, surveys. How many of you have at least completed one lesson of Tomorrow's World Bible Study Class? Okay, wonderful. That's excellent. That's uh, about 94.8% of you. Very good. So I hope the rest of you uh, can continue with that as well. And the Bible study I gave uh, a week ago, Friday night, on uh, emphasizing knowing your Bible and prophetic milestones, I was also encouraging you all, again, to be reading the, bo- the booklet, The Bible, Fact or Fiction, and be acquainted with the symmetry of God's Scripture, which has a chart here in the middle uh, showing, again, the inspired order of the Bible, the 22 books, of course, of the Old Testament in the inspired order and the 27 books of the New Testament in the inspired order. So next time I speak, we'll give you a test on all 49. Let's, no, we won't do that. But I hope that you uh, have memorized those. How many of you can recite, I asked this at the Bible study, how many of you can recite all 66 uh, books of the Bible in the King James order or think you can? Okay. Oh, 
that's a little disappointing. That's only about 18.4%. How many of you think you can recite all 49 books of the Bible in the inspired order? I see your hands. Uh, do I see any hands? Do I see any hands? Um, no, I don't see any hands. Okay. Oh, there is one. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. One person. Okay. I, I hope that you'll read that booklet, uh, Bible Fact or Fiction, and be very acquainted. We need to know our Bible. Jesus said, you have not denied my word. He knows us because we're studying the Bible. We're integrating it. We're living by it. Philadelphians keep God's word. Number five. Jesus said in Luke 6:46, "But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say?" And of course he said, "Have you never read when the Pharisees and Sadducees tried to ask him trick questions?" So we need to know our Bible. Characteristic number 5 is Philadelphians keep God's word. Characteristic number 6, Philadelphians do not deny God's name. He says, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. What is the second commandment? You shall not take the name of the eternal your God in vain, for the eternal will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. How do we honor God's name? We honor God's name in word and in deed. Our speech and our language honor God. Our way of life honors the family name. Your daily conduct should reflect God's character and honor His name. We also honor His name, of course, in our prayer, the outline prayer, Matthew 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. And that's just the subject, introducing the subject. I've spent some sometimes, a long time, even on thinking of God as the Creator and discussing with God, thanking Him for all the various aspects of the creation from the universe to the spider that was trying to catch a fly to the red cardinal we saw at breakfast this morning. You know, you thank God for His name and what He is. But we also have to be careful about what we say, and that's another sermon in the future, about our language, our conversation, What words are we telling uh, other people? What words are we putting on Facebook or pictures on Facebook? Are we shaming God's name by our our communications or not? I've read to you before poems by Edgar Guest. This is called Wisdom. This is wisdom, maids and men, knowing what to say and when. Speech is common. Thought is rare. Wise men choose their words with care. Artists with the master touch never use one phrase too much. Jesus preaching on the mount made his every sentence count. Lincoln's Gettysburg Address needs not one word more or less. This is wisdom, maids and men, knowing what to say and when. Let's turn to Psalm 86. Psalm 86, as we realize that our words, our conduct, our behavior, even our body language reflects on God. Do we honor his name and his office? Psalm 86 and verse 11. This, I presume, is David. We don't assume that every psalm is by David, but 
Psalm 72 is a psalm by Solomon. Psalm 76 through there is Asaph. Psalm 86 um, is a prayer of David. And he says in Psalm 86, verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord eternal. I will walk in your truth. Unite my my heart to fear your name. We have to respect God's name and what it stands for. It stands for power. It stands for authority. It stands for the character and the nature of God and who He is. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. So we glorify God's name in our prayer and in our life. We realize that God is the creator, the lawgiver, the life giver, the sustainer, the designer, the one who fulfills prophecy, the one who answers prayers. He's the father of lights, the giver of every good and perfect gift. He's the father of spirits, the majesty on high. He's the father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He is love. He rules supreme. He's the great educator. And we honor Christ's name as well. John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And as we heard uh, referred to earlier in uh, Dr. Douglas Winnale's message, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, that Jesus said, I, well, he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And you know the other titles and names of Christ as well. King of kings and Lord of lords, the bread of life, the Savior of the world, and our great high priest who ever lives to intercede for us. Philadelphians honor God's name in their prayers and in the way they live. Number six characteristic, Philadelphians do not deny God's name. They honor it. Number seven, Philadelphians persevere. Again, we find this characteristic in Revelation 3, verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I gave a sermon here August 3rd, 2013, sermon number 771, Philadelphian Perseverance. And we saw that in this end time that we need to persevere through the tests, the trials, and the persecutions ahead. Let's turn to Matthew 24. Matthew 24 for Philadelphian Perseverance. As I could give that... (coughs) just given that sermon to uh, some other congregation since we had technical difficulties in recording that here at that day. But uh, Matthew, the 24th chapter, verse 13, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. We heard the announcement about Mrs. Stein. She endured to her end, and she died in the faith. We know of so many of our saints and brothers and sisters and, that have died in the, faith, in the faith. But we see even before that, however, that there is a time of trial in the context here, verses 9 through 11. Verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, 
And then many will be offended and betray one another, will hate one another. And we see in Matthew 10, verses 16 through 23, betrayal in people's families. And so when we come to the prophetic milestone of the 1335 days, we realize what Daniel is talking about. You might hold your place here in Matthew 24 and go back to Daniel 12.12. I covered this in the Bible study a week ago Friday night. Daniel 12, verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. This is the culmination of the prophet Daniel's exhortation and revelation that God gave to him. He didn't understand everything because he was told, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed and sealed to the time of the end. In the next verse, verse 13, Daniel 12, But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. So Daniel is going to be resurrected at the end of the 1335 days. And what do those 1335 days indicate? He said, Blessed are those who wait. We let Jesus Christ make the interpretation. And before the resurrection, what happens? Well, we see that the 1290, the abomination of desolation takes place. We've covered that before. But before that, that's Matthew 24, 15. Remember the abomination of desolation. So what happens before that? The 45 days before is intense persecution indicated by Christ here in Matthew 24, verses 9 through 11 or through 12. But he, verse 13, Matthew 24, but he who endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, gives us that encouragement to persevere. And Jesus Christ himself set the example of enduring to the end and persevering. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, I probably quote the scripture about every other sermon. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're all running a race, symbolically, and we run those trials and tests day by day, looking unto Jesus. How do we run that race? We have our eyes on the goal and on the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Our, many of us are enduring our own crosses. Jesus said, he that comes after me must take, his, take up his cross daily and follow me. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we, we today face many trials and tests, but... He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Number seven characteristic. Philadelphian Christians persevere. They do not give up. They run the race with patience. They run the race with endurance. Number eight. Philadelphians hold fast to the truth. Again, what does Jesus say about the Philadelphians in Revelation 3? Verse 11, Behold, I am coming quickly. 
Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. And some people have been very careless with the truth. They have not been holding fast. They have been careless. They've let go of the truth. So what do we hold fast to? What is it that we have that we must hold fast? We have the truth. We have an awesome calling. We have a mission. And we're dedicated and zealous to fulfill those responsibilities. Let's turn to Titus, the first chapter. Titus, the first chapter, gives us uh, one of the many references of holding fast. Titus 1 and... Start off with uh, verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word. What do you hold fast to? The faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So we hold fast to the faithful word. Turn to 2 Timothy, just back a couple pages. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase uh, to more ungodliness. In the uh, NIV, it says, do, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. So we are to handle the word of truth. We are to hold fast to the word of truth. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. You think of holding fast, or think of Jacob wrestling with the Lord and uh, how he wouldn't let go. Oh, here we go. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So again, we hold fast the word. Dr. Meredith and his... Oh, that's my article I'm talking about here. Not Dr. Meredith's article. Um, hold fast to your spiritual treasure, which is a November, December 2008 Living Church News, page 6. Hold fast to your spiritual treasure. I'll just read a paragraph from that article. <clears throat> Years ago in Mira Mesa, California, two men were attempting to anchor a U.S. Navy dirigible to a docking mast. They carefully maneuvered the two ropes attached to the nose of the airship. Suddenly a gust of wind blew the airship up in the air, catching the rope handlers by surprise. The men had men held on to their ropes as the airship climbed 
several feet high into the sky. One man let go and fell to his death. The other man wrapped the rope around his wrist, leg, and whole body and gripped the rope tightly. In about a half an hour, the airship slowly returned to the ground, and the man who had held fast had saved his life. And I saw this on television. It was rather remarkable. The article continues. The Bible tells us to hold fast and not let go of the spiritual treasure God has given us, his truth. There are many scriptures that urge us to hold fast or to hang on or to preserve, persevere. Will you hang on to God's truth until the very end of your life? Will you continue to live by every word of God, or will you compromise, like the Laodicean church, as Ramsey called it, the compromising church? What else do we hold on to? There are many other scriptures, but let's turn to one more before we go on. 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. 1 Timothy 6. Yes, we hold on to the treasures of truth. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold. What do you lay hold on? Eternal life, to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in certain uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Then you know First Thessalonians 5.21, Test all things... Hold fast what is good. So number eight Philadelphian characteristic is hold fast to the truth. Number nine, Philadelphians have their hearts in God's work. And, of course, we've given sermons along that line before. We already quoted 2 Corinthians 2.12, where Paul went through an open door to preach God's uh, Christ gospel when he came to Troas. And we've read also in Revelation 3, verse 8, I know your works. I have set before you an open door. Let's turn to uh, John 4. Of course, Dr. Meredith emphasized this in his sermon. But it is one that is a part of our very life and being and an example, of course, of Christ himself. John 4 and verse 34. The disciples said, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Those are two major responsibilities that we pray about every day. And we pray that God's will be done and not our own. We pray that the work will be completed and that God will give us 
the resources, the power, both physically and spiritually, to complete that mission. Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote in a co-worker letter, August 28, 1967, quote, In 33 and one-half years of this work, this 1967, I have noticed that those who grow spiritually are those whose hearts and interests are in the work, God's work, carried on from Pasadena headquarters. And those who individually fell away, lost out, and will go into a lake of fire instead of the kingdom of God, he writes, were those who were interested only in their own personal spiritual development and had no interest in getting the gospel to the world. That's a very sobering warning to all of us. Dr. Meredith and his LCN editorial, What Do You Stand For?, January, February 2003, wrote this. Quote, So we can, in that light, deeply relate to General MacArthur's words, duty, honor, country. As we grow older as a church and as individual members, let us never forget why we are here. Let us hold our heads high as we charge on day and night to do the work of God with zeal, with dedication, with courage, and with sacrifice. No military mission was ever so vital. No warfare was ever so important, and no reward was ever so magnificent as the one we will receive if we overcome ourselves and Satan, and if we are zealous and faithful in proclaiming Christ's message to a world that has truly lost its way. When we have our hearts in God's work, we need to be familiar with God's work. I've mentioned this to you before. But I encourage all of you to know where you can find Tomorrow's World telecast. Dr. Meredith and I, and I believe Mr. Partian was with us at the time some years ago when we were at lunch in a restaurant, and this man recognized Dr. Meredith and came over to him. And uh, he complimented Dr. Meredith, and uh, Dr. Meredith proceeded to tell him what stations the telecast was on here in Charlotte. And, of course, I think all of you know that it's on, at least on cable, WGN, Sunday mornings at 6 o'clock. Tomorrow's little television program is on Sunday mornings on cable on WAXN at 7 o'clock Sunday mornings. And then Monday evenings, when my wife and I normally watch the telecast, is poor resolution, but it's uh, on Hickory from uh, Hickory Channel 18 on Time Warner cable system at 7.30 p.m., Monday nights. And of course, you tell them about the tomorrowsworld.org website where they can see the telecast 24 7. So, and also, you can rec- encourage them to see Dr. Meredith's Tomorrow's World presentation that he gave December 8th. That's on our tomorrowsworld.org website, right in the center of the webpage. And I have a little word that says archive which the word should be a little larger, but a little word archive. You click on that, and you can uh, see Dr. Meredith's December 8th, Tomorrow's World presentation. What is the major key to spiritual growth? The sermon 667, not 666, 667. Character, fulfill your calling, emphasizes uh, that key, that Philadelphian Christians have their hearts in the work. 
I read to you by uh, William Ramsey's book, uh, The Letters of the Seven Churches, what he sa- this is what he says about the Philadelphian church, page 405. Philadelphia, therefore, was the keeper of the gateway to the plateau, but the door had now been permanently opened before the church, and the work of Philadelphia had been to go forth through the door and carry the gospel to the cities of the Phrygian land. End of quote. Page 406. Quote, Philadelphia must have been preeminent among the seven cities as the missionary church. End of quote. So he calls Philadelphia the missionary church. And certainly we know that we are dedicated to the mission that Christ has given us in Matthew 28 and Mark 15, Mark 16. We have a sevenfold mission. And I handed that out uh, to you all uh, when I gave the sermon five weeks ago. So we won't hand it out again today, but it's on the information table here. I also handed this out uh, a week ago, Friday night, at the Bible study on prophetic milestones. We have a dedicated mission. I'll just read them again. You've heard me read them before, but this uh, sermon goes out to our brethren around the world, so I want to read it for them. The Sevenfold Commission of the Living Church of God. And this was from the May-June 2009 Living Church News by Dr. Meredith in the editorial, The Purpose for the Church. Number one, preach the gospel of the kingdom and the true name of Jesus Christ, because of the false name of Christ going out. Two, preach the end-time prophecies and the Ezekiel warning to the Israelitish peoples, and we know to the rest of the world as well. Three, feed the flock and build all our members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can. Four, be examples to the church at large and to the world of Christ's way of life. And as we have this outreach program, that is part of it, but your daily life needs to exemplify those Christ's way of life as well. Number five, learn and practice servant leadership in all our dealings with others. We saw that in the sermonette about courtesy, that we want to have that servant leadership attitude. And Mr. Hart quoted Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. He set the example of servant leadership. Number six, restore apostolic. Now we've changed that to original Christianity and all that this implies. Number seven, build an atmosphere of radiant faith within God's church. Though Dr. Meredith writes again, why are we here? What is God's work and our commission all about? I hope that the above explanation will help and inspire all of us to understand why we exist. Much of the world is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. They're not dedicated to God's purpose for their lives. Let us understand why we exist and what we ought to be doing as the living church of God. Let us then move ahead on all fronts and honor God and our Savior Jesus Christ as we zealously fulfill these vital elements of the Great Commission. So some of you say, oh, well, there are three uh, three, uh, major commissions. That's correct. Uh, But these are elements of the Great Commission, all seven of them. And perhaps this might be a test for some of us, whether we are Philadelphian or Laodicean, 
whether we were going to respond to Jesus Christ in fulfilling these, this sevenfold commission of the living church of God or not. Because Dr. Meredith writes this, and it'll be a test for you. Please study, meditate, and pray about these points and ask God to help you build them into your daily lives so that this work of God may go forward with zeal and power as never before. I hope, brethren, that you will respond to that admonition by our presiding evangelist. We can all thank God, brethren, for all the blessings he's been giving us, giving his church, giving the work. We have those growing opportunities to fulfill that mission. We think back on 2013. We had 9,500 people at the Feast of Tabernacles. We had 48 feast sites in 32 countries. And the January, February Living Church News, I don't know, has this been sent out? Have we got received this yet? Okay, you've, some of you received this. 40 pages. Uh, 20, 20 pages are dedicated, 22 pages are dedicated to the fee sites around the world. And, of course, it has an article by Sheldon Munson on the living youth camps with photos, and I'm sure that you've been enjoying it if you haven't uh, already uh, read through the Living Church News January, February 2014. Our attendance uh, for the church through October 2013 was up 6.9% in the United States over October of last year. Uh, International was up 5.1%, and uh, total worldwide was 6.1%. Those are the latest statistics that I have. So Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Characteristic number nine, Philadelphians have their hearts in God's work. Number ten, Philadelphians have a destiny to serve in the headquarters of the universe. Revelation 3 and verse 12. Revelation 3 and verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. God has called all faithful Christians to serve as kings and priests, serving Christ, serving the world for a thousand years during the millennium, and on into the white throne judgment. But beyond that, the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven onto this earth. What is the ultimate temple? We're going to be pillars, if we're faithful Philadelphians, pillars in the temple of God, a pillar is a stable support. It's a strong support. And he said we're going to be pillars in the temple of God. Yet ultimately, what is the temple of God? Turn to Revelation. You might hold your place in Revelation 3, but turn to Revelation the 21st chapter, Revelation 21. Revelation 21, he's describing the uh, New Jerusalem. 
Verse 9, he says, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. So who's going to be dwelling in the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven? Those who will be in the first resurrection. Those who are the Lamb's wife. And he describes it with the twelve gates and all the various jewels and the glory of the city. That's laid out as a square, verse 16. He's measured the city, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. The wall, 144 cubics. And the construction of its wall, verse 18, was of jasper. And the city was of pure gold, like clear glass. He mentions the 12 gates in verse 21. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Verse 22. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So if we are pillars in the temple of God, that indicates that we have a very intimate relationship with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. And of course we will always be a part of the family of God. And we will have a relationship that will inherit all things as it reads back there in verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We know that we will inherit the whole universe. That will be the ultimate Philadelphian mission, as he tells us in verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Well, that will be the ultimate mission, the ultimate Philadelphian mission that God has given us. So, brethren, thank God for your calling and for your ultimate destiny. Number ten characteristic of Philadelphians. Philadelphians have a destiny to serve in the headquarters of the universe. Faithful Philadelphians keep God's word. They live by it. Faithful Philadelphians honor God's name in their language and in their lifestyle. Philadelphians are faithful by constantly and consistently living Christ's way of life. They have godly character. They produce the fruits of the Spirit. They are predictable. They are honest. They have integrity. And in their dwellings, that is in their dealings and relationships with others, they love one another. Jesus said in John 15:12, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We've discussed briefly ten characteristics of of Philadelphian. Philadelphia historically was called a missionary church. We also have a missionary zeal to fulfill the work that Christ has given us to accomplish. I'll refer you to uh, sermon number 691, Your Incredible Mission. The ten characteristics we've discussed today were number one, Philadelphians love one another. They have brotherly love. But I want to emphasize they also have unconditional love for genuine Christians in all Church of God fellowships. Number two, Philadelphians produce good works by faith. Are you living a life of faith and good works? Number three, Philadelphians go through the open doors by faith. And we look forward to the open doors in India and other places around the world 
and particularly uh, Europe on Faith TV starting January 22nd. Characteristic number four, Philadelphians have a little strength and rely on Christ's strength. Number five, Philadelphians keep God's word, for you have a little strength and have kept my word, Jesus said. Number six, Philadelphians do not deny God's name. They honor God's name by their conversation, by their behavior, by their thoughts, and by their deeds. Number seven, Philadelphian Christians persevere. They do not give up. They run the race with patience, with endurance. Summary number eight, I mean, characteristic number eight. Philadelphians hold fast to the truth. They hold fast to eternal life. They prove all things. Hold fast what is good. Number nine, Philadelphians have their heart in God's work. And again, we thank you for all of your faithful support this past year, and we look forward to great developments in 2014. Number 10, Philadelphians have an ultimate destiny to serve in the headquarters of the universe. So, brethren, we must strive to be the faithful church, as the subhead in the New King James Bible. We must strive to be faithful Philadelphians, but we must also be overcomers because, as Jesus said, he that overcomes will I grant to be. Let me just read that in Revelation 3. Verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. We have a responsibility to overcome. And he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. So, brethren, remember always who we are. We are bondservants of Jesus Christ. We are the sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. God has called us to preach the gospel. We are training as kings and priests for the coming kingdom. But we must strive to fulfill the Philadelphian mission. So let's have our heart in God's work, live the Philadelphian way of life, be faithful servants of Christ until the very end, and persevere, rejoice in the mission that Christ has given us, and be dedicated to the Philadelphian mission. Then we can be look, look forward to being pillars in the very temple of God and bear the name of the new Jerusalem. We can look forward for our eternal relationship, intimate relationship with God the Father and with Christ. So let's be the faithful church and faithfully complete our mission.